welcome to Interdisciplinary. I'm Cal Cates. And I am Kathy Ryan. And this is Heal Well's podcast about people who take care of people and all of the people and perspectives that lift us up. We love science, we love meaningful dissent, and we love to support our fellow humans in making our world a place that is just, equitable, and loving beyond our own imagining. Thanks for joining us uh, for another rousing conversation with a smart, compassionate care provider. Uh, We are still running our season three contest, so don't forget, go leave us a review. And if we read your review on the air, is that even a thing you can say anymore? We're not really on the air, but you know what I mean? If we read it on the show and other people get to hear it, uh, you get your pick of an interdisciplinary mug, a t-shirt, or a 30-minute conversation with me and Kathy about the topic of your choosing. And we just got an additional offer from uh, the show's producer and her co-author of their fancy new oncology massage textbook that you and or the people that you work with at your practice could have a 30-minute conversation with the authors of the newest and fanciest oncology massage integrative practice textbook. So seriously, all you got to do is write a review and you can have one of those four amazing prizes for your very own. Uh, So make sure that you go and like us and share us and tell all your people and your pets and people uh, like that, that you're listening and that they should also listen. And uh, Kathy, did I forget anything else before we jump into our pun? I think that's it, right? No, I, I'm, I've been away for a couple of weeks, so I'm ready for the pun. Okay. Are you ready? Did you stretch? Okay. What do you use to cut a Roman emperor's hair? Caesar's. That's right. Oh, good job, my friend. (laughs) I decided to not even go medical this week. You just go off the reservation completely. (laughs) Sure. So uh, anything new we should know about, Kathy, in the world of uh, British Columbia and things? No, just uh, I think many of us are just a little puzzled by the you don't have to wear a mask in public anymore while the Delta variant is starting to rage through the country. So that's a little confusing. And um Canada has graciously opened their border, but the oh. U.S. still won't let us in. <laughs> that is hilarious. Because we're dangerous. We are dangerous. <laughs> wow. That, that's it. That's all I got. <laughs> and that is so much. Um, yeah, I, I feel like we are similarly um, confused is a very nice way to say it uh, about what's happening here in the States. And, and the idea that even when we got vaccinated, vaccination was not a pass to not wear a mask. And I don't know where that disconnect happened, but I feel like there's this whole uh, inaccurate outrage that like, well, wait a minute, I got vaccinated. Why do I have to wear a mask? And we're like, you should have been wearing a mask the whole time, even if you were vaccinated. Like, that's not how this works. But um, I think Americans have shown that they're not so invested in science or facts, um, or at least many of them have shown that. So I think we're uh, we're in for a, a quite a lengthy and uh, confusing, to borrow your Canadian word, Kathy, uh, ride in terms of COVID, because I think Delta and Lambda are just two variants, and I think we got a lot of variants uh, coming down the pike. So yeah, strap viruses, in, folks. Viruses do things like that, and I think it's been well documented over hundreds of years that viruses do things like that. And it, I find it curious because... Wearing a mask, washing your hands, keeping distance from folks. It's been working. It has been working. Our numbers went way down and things were really looking good here. And and it's, uh, yeah, I I find it very confusing why our public health 
officials have decided that, okay, we don't have to wear masks anymore. Okay. I'm still wearing a mask. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's a good call. Um, Uh, Well, and and I find it um, also confusing that people are railing about the injustice of having to wear a mask. I'm like, listen, if you want to rail about injustice, how much time you got? Because I got all kinds of crap we can talk about that has nothing to do with your face and preventing disease from being spread to other people. (laughs) Okay, then. And that's a perfect segue for our awesome and amazing guest who has returned to join us. Let's talk about injustice. Let's talk about it. We have with us back from the old days, Dr. J pop, Dr. Jennifer Hutton uh, was with us back in the massage therapy without borders early days and has been doing amazing things. Not surprisingly since uh, we were last together and we're so glad to have her back on to rail about injustice with us and uh, help us help us get real about what we can do. <laughs> Thank you all for having me back. <laughs> Welcome and back. Just, yeah, you just sparked my fire with that last part. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, so tell us things. Dr. J-Pop, what have you been up yeah. to? So I think the last time I came had I started building allyship yet or was I opening? I think you were talking about it. Okay. Yeah. So, um, September of last year, I opened up a membership community, um, called building allyship and it was for health care and health and wellness professionals who were, who wanted to be better allies, but were kind of lost. Um, I think when everything happened, there was that manic rush and books went to the top of the bestseller list and Amazon was throwing books at all of us. And it was a rush, but I I always tell people this, if you don't read three books from your favorite author in a month, I don't think you understand how hard it will be to read these books as fast as you have purchased them. (laughs) (laughs) So, um... So I, I basically said, look, I want to figure out, I don't want to do another course. I don't want to do another workshop because I know how that works. You take them, you say, I took it. And then you move on with your life. Um, I think I, I recognize that the one thing marginalized communities understand is that while we don't fit in the majority, um, there's power in our own communities. And so when things happen, we tend to gravitate toward each other. Um, I don't have to know you, but I know that you look like me and there's safety in that because there's so much going on outside that I need to feel safe. That's really all my body wants to feel safe. I want to feel safe. So that's what we look for. And I recognize that as an ally, if you're still part of the majority culture and still identify with it, you belonged all your life. Yeah, you, you really have been able to traverse, and I won't say an entitlement because you didn't know. It's just you fit everywhere. Everything was designed for you, even if you didn't know it. And so to come out of that and say, "I don't, I, I don't want to fit in that way. I want to help," you kind of are still by yourself because you've operated in the majority, and now you're operating as a minority in the majority. Um, and so I, re- I was like, like, what if we just built a community where you all can talk to each other, you all can have those conversations, you all can find that community with each other, but you can also have someone who is 
has been a minority and has, you know, had to traverse through this culture to give you what you need in terms of resources. So I curated a list of resources. I curated a list of books. um, And I was very, I was intentional about the books that I chose. Um, If you are new to this, don't just go read How to Be an Anti-Racist. That's (laughs) literally... You're going to pull a hammy. You're going (laughs) to... like the couch to 5k like you oh, yeah, right. you gotta take it slow um but I realized I also am a human behavior like enthusiast so I recognize what change looks like and change doesn't start with jumping into the cold deep all the time you really have to say I have to examine why I was okay with this I have to examine what I was fed I have to examine what I believed and why so that I can know, okay, now that I understand that, how do I make the transformation? And so that's what we've been doing over this last year. Um, my, I couldn't do this for the majority and not do something for my people too. So I said, well, this community is for you, but the platform and the speakers are for my people, for my marginalized persons. So those people with the expertise are gonna come speak to you. And we're going to use membership fees to pay them to come speak. Um, So that was one aspect. There was the community aspect. There was having a platform for marginalized speakers to come and share their expertise, help you through this journey. Um, There was, of course, the book list. But then there was also the donation piece um, because there's power in your money too. Yeah. I mean, money runs everything as we know. Yes. And I think that's part of why a lot of these, uh, changes are being made with mask mandates, but that's for another podcast. Um, <laughs> so I said, look, let, here's what we do. You all find the organizations that resonate with our missions. You bring them to us. We look at them. We say, oh, that's amazing. We put them in a group. We vote on them at the end of every quarter and a percentage of your membership fees, you get to decide where that goes. So now you're learning how to really look at where you're putting your money. So there were so many pieces that I was like, "That's this is all part of being a conscious citizen yeah. <laughs> and not just going on autopilot. And so I, when I tell you, I it was a dream in my head. And this last year has been absolutely amazing to watch it come to fruition in human beings and say, oh, it's, it went from my head and it actually was something that worked. And so I've started to have um, one-on-one sessions with some of the members this year and really hear what they're doing, how they're implementing um, what we've what we've learned, um, how they're doing it in their communities, how they're doing it at their jobs, um, how they're doing it in their businesses. I just did an IG live with one of the members um, who was creating a business. She was creating a business while we were, before she got in. And once she got in building allyship, she started changing things and changing how they were doing things and how they looked at access and how they looked at who they were serving. And so I've really been able to see what it can look like when you have a group of people say we're committed and we're going to do this together. And it's just been, it's been a source of hope for me. I don't think they realize it. They still think that they're a burden sometimes. I'm like, no, I chose to do this. Um, (laughs) But it has been amazing to watch that transformation because I think we're fed so much in the media about 
you know, white allies have, have abandoned their post and they don't care about the journey. And there's so much on social media. And I'm like, well, I've got at least a hundred and something people right now that are in different parts of the world, not just yeah. the country. And I know what they're doing. And I can say everybody hasn't abandoned it. And I think we need to shift our energy. Those who know it's their purpose to talk to those people, we need to shift our energy there. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, well, and I, I there's so many things that you said that I, I want to like, when, <laughs> it's really funny that if, if you've continued to be engaged with this there, you said when everything happened, you know, like the murder of George Floyd. And, and then of course the fact that it's gotta be hard for, I would guess that it is hard for a black person to be like, listen, that is not the thing that happened. That is like the 11 millionth thing that happened. But because we're all on lockdown, because all these other like factors conspired to make this a thing that we kept paying attention to, it did result in some kind of awakening. And that, yeah, you know, I love that <laughs> you don't start with how to be an anti-racist and that, you know, maybe you, um, one of the things that I feel like we're finding, cause we're doing, uh, we're doing something somewhat similar at Healwell with our yeah. community and sort of, there's this, um, I guess I would call it awakening fatigue that there's this idea, particularly on the part of white people that like, Oh, I can't read any more of that right now. And, you know, and I'm like, okay, like I, I recognize that that is a real feeling. And mm -hmm. also if you are a person of color, if you are a historically excluded person, you don't get to take a break from being that. So right. maybe you put down medical apartheid and you read something else in that yeah. like genre, but yeah. keep going. And I mean, yeah. I feel, I, in fact, it just came back to me that I think that's what we called your episode when you were on the first time, keep going. Like keep going. <laughs> this is not, you, it's not couch to 5k. It's couch to, you never stop running. Like yes. <laughs> you'll be in some <laughs> form of movement until you die. Hopefully. <laughs> exactly that. And yeah. it's funny there. We just finished, um, two trauma informed trainings and reading my grandmother's hand. Oh, and I think the, the fatigue is because your perspective is, is still not where it should be when you're approaching the work. Um, to consider that we have all been, we've all been harmed. Yes. <laughs> Every last one of us have. Yes. And that harm, it dictates how you traverse through life. And so if you don't, acknowledge or even understand that you've also been harmed by the thinking and the thought viruses that have been passed down, then you're always going to come at it from, I have to work so hard. And it's like, well, no, you have to heal so hard. Yeah. <laughs> and that healing is what's going to help that work not seem as fatiguing as it can be. I, I do get tired, but it's because I'm black and I'm doing this work. <laughs> Yeah. And I recognize there is a different liberation for me than there is for you. Yeah. But it took me time to get to that realization before I could actually do this work. So there's so many layers that come to me doing this that I realize people think, oh, they just were born this way. I was like, I was born into this. And that is why I am this way. Yeah. That's, there's a difference. I am a born leader. I am a born hellraiser. But I was also born into some mess and I had to figure out how to get out of it and still feel free. 
Yeah. And I think that's what I'm hoping people get to that realization. You got to be free to do this work from an authentic place. Well, and to be free, and I feel like this is the challenge we have in, we do, one of the, one of the main courses we do is called Dismantling Whiteness, and it is for white people mm-hmm. so that they can get real about the harm they've done, the harm they've suffered, what they need to be healing from. You know, you can't, you can't heal hard until you know what the wounds are and what the harms are. And I feel like particularly, I mean, you brought up my grandmother's hands and as any body worker is listening, this is a book about the somatic experience of generational racial trauma. And I feel like when you read that book, it's like cleaning out your super messy garage. Like when you're in the middle of it, you're like, why did I even start this? This is such a mess. I don't even know where any of this shit goes. I have no idea what to do. And it is, if it's not exhausting, you're not doing it. Yeah. Yeah. But, but you do have to keep going and maybe you don't go fast, but it's so important to do that somatic piece and also to go at that, the pace that is challenging, but not depleting. Yeah. And that you find that way to be resilient in that. Yeah, exactly that. And, and it's when we did a um, a breathwork session. So I'm, I, I timed it where we had a, a someone come in and talk about trauma and actually say, you've, you've been traumatized. And when I tell you, the group was like, what? What are you talking about? Like, we're talking about, we want to be informed about how to do others. And yeah. I watched their shift. And then we started reading Grandmother's Hands, and then we did a breathwork session this week. And it was like, oh, <laughs> it, you could see and just <laughs> click, feel click, 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 the click. shift. Yeah. Um, and even here in, in their responses to just the breathwork session, I was like, y'all, like, this is, we have all been duped. <laughs> yes. Every last one of us have been duped. And I, I just, I need y'all to see that. Because it changes how you're going to move through this journey now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. The veils are coming down and people are just like, you know, so yeah. floored. Floored by that. Yeah, exactly. Floored, completely floored by that. You know, exactly. and I think your your point about we can't always dive into the deep, deep all the time yeah. for change, you know, and I think that's really important. And one of the things that I appreciate about the approach that you're taking is that you're, you're creating a process for people that perhaps maybe need a more gentle pathway into this rather than just being smacked in the face with it. Because for people who have experienced trauma, you throw them yeah. in the deep, deep, they might freeze they might get scared and just say, shut the door, I can't do this. Whereas if you're taking a more, more gentle approach into this process, as well as providing a community, you know, I've spoken with a number of folks who have, who have read a variety of the books that exploded on the scene, but had no place to go for discussion about it. They felt so isolated yeah. in it. And it's like, where do I even start? Where do I even start with this? It is hard. And just like you said, people who have been traumatized, it causes them to freeze. And then, and I've had this discussion with other anti-racist educators, we've watched it and been able to say, and when they freeze and then educators come at them and say, you're not doing anything, did it? It's like, that's more trauma. And so when they shut down, it's viewed as you were never committed anyway. And from the psychology side, I'm like, no, we just kept beating them over the head. And 
it, it was never, I know it sucks. It sucks that I was born into this, but psychology is psychology <laughs> and human yeah. behavior is human behavior and science is science. And while we want there to be an urgency with this because we've been living with it so long, the fact of the matter is there can't be. And when you see people dive into the deep and they're not ready, it changes the things that they ask for. Um, like to hear more black trauma stories. Um, I had a friend who, who is a, actually a psychologist. He does a lot of DEI work with high level organizations. And he said, you know, when you're still seeking to hear my trauma, you should ask yourself why. And he says, and sometimes I flip it on their head and I say, well, how does it feel to be related to a rapist and a slave master? And, and he said, and their faces go, What? Yeah. How could you ask me that? And he's like, "What you're asking me how it my experiences and my feelings about. So why can't I ask you if you've done the same work that I've done yes. on my end? And so it's, there's so much in this that I just said, OK, this isn't just share the book list. <laughs> this isn't. This is we got to do this together. We absolutely have to do this together. And there are some parts where I say that's your job as an ally. I'm not doing it. I'm not touching it. It's not mine. Um, when people come into my comment section and go ham, I'm like, oh, that's not mine. I'll move you to the side. You have to understand when it's your job to move ahead and when it's your job to move behind and when it's your job to be side by side. And that takes time. That takes time. Absolutely. I find one of the things that I'm curious, to, I'm sure you have to address this in your community and, and in other work you do that so much of the resistance for lack of a more graceful word that we experience is in terms of having to redefine words that people thought they understood. For instance, trauma, right? Mm -hmm. Trauma is what happens when you're a refugee, when you were raped, when your house burns down. It's not what happens when someone misgenders you or when someone mm. asks you, when some white person says, Oh, how'd you do that with your hair? Like we don't, we have this hierarchy that's imagined about what deserves to be labeled trauma. Mm -hmm. And when you, take a room full of people and you say like everyone in this room has been traumatized and people go, Oh, that's, you know, that's not true. And, and that I think particularly with healthcare providers, mm. we, it's so easy to, we care for people, people, not me have been traumatized, have mm -hmm. been marginalized, have been whatever. And so I am here with my expertise and my whatever as a healthcare provider to <laughs> help humans in their human experience. But I'm, I'd rather not go into my human experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly yeah. that. The the redefining is a part of it. And it's, I think just like Kathy said, it's one of the veils that has come down for healthcare workers too. Yeah. To say, oh, shoot, we learned a lot about the body, but not a lot about how it's connected to the mind. And now that you're seeing that, I think we started from the obvious in our research, of course. We started with PTSD because you experienced these, you know, major traumas like maybe you were in a war or maybe you you did have to flee from your country a war-torn country and visible but, pathological seeming symptoms yes yeah. so, but we're seeing these symptoms now in people who lived here and grew up here what yes. does that tell you yeah. that tells you that maybe our umbrella <laughs> needs to be a little bit bigger in how we define this and it, it is if you finish school and you come out and it's like i learned all i learned I look at my curriculum now and I'm like, that is archaic. 
archaic. <laughs> All right. And, and that's what, I, like 12 years old or something? I mean, it's not that old a curriculum, right? I love you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, how, how long have you been doing physical therapy? It is 13 years. Okay. It is. Yeah. Years. It is. So, I was like, yeah, it is right. Yeah, yeah, we're right. not talking like 35 or 40 years. Like this is recent history that you're like, yeah. oh my gosh. Yeah. 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 It's, it is. And so now I'm looking at the curriculums that still haven't changed. And that's why I'm always passionate. Like, hey, teach as much as you can on these platforms, because that's where they are. They're not getting it in school. They're not getting it in these hospitals. They're not getting it in these clinics. They're on social media, though. So, hey, everybody, let's start sharing this stuff. Now, you said something earlier that uh, that I, I think is funny, and I bet um, wasn't meant to be funny, but and it's not funny, haha. Um, <laughs> you said something about um, how money connects to like mask mandates, and you were like, "Oh, but that's for another podcast." And I think this is another area that we, um, as educators and people who are really creating a space for community, find a challenge because as the veils come down there is not a place to turn where you don't find a lie that you've been living under. And I feel like, sure, we're not on this particular episode to talk about the role of, um, you know, uh, capitalism in mm-hmm. marginalization, whatever, but, mm-hmm. but we're not, not. Right. And if we don't, we're not really talking about it. And True. I think it's really exhausting for people who <laughs> like, you know, who think they want to be allies to realize that what you're inviting yourself into is really to keep noticing what I think on your website you call thought viruses and how you have spent your life believing things that just straight up aren't true. It's not even a matter of perspective that like, oh, wow. Well, what about this? Can't I still rely on this or that? And it's like, no, no, all of that. Just here, put it in the bucket. I'm just going to throw it out because it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not a thing. <laughs> And you have to have compassion for people who are like, oh, I didn't realize we were talking about like my whole life. The whole, <laughs> every, every system that you felt comfortable in. Yeah. Every system you felt comfortable in, you need to question. That's how I feel about it. Because we're coming yes. at you saying we haven't felt comfortable in any system. <laughs> there have been inequities yes. in every system for us. And that's the why systems we're designed saying, against us. So it's like, well, when I say that racism has been creatively woven throughout every system that exists, that's exact. I'm not trying to be like colloquial. Like that's, that is it. That yes. is what I mean. I say, I'm saying facts. And so now when they're like, oh, but the school, I'm like, yeah, go to the parent conference where they're complaining about their kids who have to wear masks and see what they all look like. Yep. Yeah. Ask those questions. Why mm-hmm. is it only this group of people that are complaining about this? Why isn't this group complaining? Mm-hmm. Why don't they see this as an injustice or yeah. their rights being taken away? Start looking at that stuff. Because yeah. even me, for, for the, the mask ones for kids, I was looking like, there's only a certain group that's complaining about this. Mm-hmm. And do they even realize that? Yeah. <laughs> The people who are still using their injustice training wheels. <laughs> the people who got rid of those are like, listen, we got bigger fish to fry, my friends. And that's when I was like, you should, that's when it, to this week, I've really been, I, I call them, I call them thought babies that like exist right here for me. And it takes a minute for them to come out. But 
one that I've been struggling with is you should probably examine your protests for privilege. Yeah. Where, what are you, what are you protesting right now? Like when I go out and I say black lives matter, it's not because I don't believe any other lives matter. It's because I'm seeing black lives being taken at a more alarming rate than white lives. When I go out and I say, hey, stop killing black men, stop killing black women, it's because I'm seeing it happen at an alarming rate. When you tell me that you don't want your kid to wear a mask, what are you seeing that makes you want, like, is that a individual or is it a collective? Like, what is it? When you start to look at your protests and you see on the hierarchy of what's really being taken from me. Yeah. Ask why. Just ask why. Right. The only, it's literally the only question that you should be able to uncover everything with is why. Yeah. And you get in trouble because you ask it so much as a child. <laughs> yes. Yes. Me. Well, because but, why, yeah. why makes people defensive, right? Yes. Because when you really are asked to stop and think about and feel about your actions, yes. you either get defensive or you discover that maybe there's some unsavory stuff in here <laughs> that you could I look at. You know, the only time that people get defensive is if they don't have the answer or they don't like the answer. Yep. Yeah. That's pretty, pretty much simple. It. Yeah. Yeah. Now, your program, uh, your community is called Building Allyship. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, and I'm not suggesting that you revamp, rebrand your company, but I read this. Um, I read an article a couple weeks ago by um, Dr. Muna Abdi. Who's mm-hmm. a um, she's an independent researcher and um, anti-racist educator, and she was talking about the importance of language, which of course is central to th- this whole all of this work. And she was suggesting that rather than allyship, we talk about solidarity, um, mm-hmm. and that um, w- instead of privilege, that we talk about uh, structurally enabled or embedded advantage. And oh, that, I and I yeah, I liked I liked both of those because I thought yeah, boy, it hadn't occurred to me that I mean. Allyship has always felt a little anemic as a word, but when Mm -hmm. she sort of took it apart, I was like, right. Allyship still says, I'm over here. You're over there. I'm going to be your pal Mm -hmm. probably until it gets ugly. And then I Mm -hmm. might peel off, but that if it's solidarity, I'm really acknowledging that my fate and your fate are interwoven and that Mm -hmm. we are actually working together. And I think there's such a resistance, particularly among white people to the word privilege that it, mm-hmm. it feels like a personal attack. But when we call it structurally embedded or like, you know, enabled okay. advantage, you can step away from it and recognize it as true, but not a character judgment. Yeah. And I, I'm curious about, um, like I said, I, I don't think you should just go change the name of your community, but <laughs> as someone who works a lot in this space, uh, I'm curious about your thoughts about the words that we use describing all of the dynamics around this. So I, I completely understand the desire to shift some language. Um, and I understand the, um, I don't want to say annoyance, but the frustration with people calling themselves allies um, and then not being able to back up. But the fact of the matter is the definition of ally is someone who is backing up a community in need. Now, I have had a lot, I've had friends now who hate the term ally and they still come and speak in my community. We still love each other, but it's because I know what I'm doing inside of the community. 
Yes. And to me, just like you can't jump in the cold and deep, you also can't just be an advocate if you don't right. understand what is needed from that marginalized community. And in order to do that, you'd have to say, I want to be an ally with you. And in that community, we say, okay, we're not calling ourselves allies, but we are building allyship, which looks like this in this community. Now, I haven't unveiled this all the way, and this won't come out until, but this second year, because this is only two years. After two years, if you stay in the community, it's just because you love the community and you want to still be a part of it. The second year is beyond allyship. And that's when we talk about mm. advocacy and leadership. But if you look at the logo, like I'm intentional about everything that I do. Yeah. If you look at the logo, there are puzzle pieces that are connected. And if you look at the color of the puzzle pieces, it's orange and there's teal. And there's meaning behind those puzzle pieces because they are interconnected okay. and those colors. Um, orange represents change. And teal represents calm. So when I put all of this together, I was very aware that at some point, people were going to call themselves allies and they weren't going to do anything about it. But if you're in <laughs> building allyship, you can either give me your money so that we can actually do something with it yeah. and you don't have to show up. Or you can really participate and understand what true allyship looks like. And I can help you move from here to hear. So this is one that I've had to say for myself, you believe what you believe and what you believe is working. So you're going to stick with that term because you're not changing the definition. You're actually just putting life into that definition to what it truly was supposed to mean. Yeah. So this was one individually I had to say, okay, y'all could change all of that. We're going to stick with it here because yeah. we're going to say, let's actually do what it's supposed to do. Changing it from a noun to a verb. <laughs> and that's yeah. what I say. I say you were going to make your allyship uh, a verb and not a title. That's not what this is. We're actually, that's why I don't call it allies. I say allyship. That is yeah. actually doing something. So yeah, that that's my take on it. And I respect everybody's, you know, movement and shifts. But I was like, but this one's mine. It's mine. Absolutely. Well, I think there's something really to that. I mean, I was, you guys just reminded me, there's this uh, podcast that I listened to called How to Citizen with Barton mm -hmm. Day. And Ooh, he, yeah. he talks about citizen as a verb and that it's mm -hmm. not how to be a citizen. It's about mm -hmm. how to make this an, an action. And I, I feel like we talk about the difference between service and helping, for instance, in a lot of our courses and, and people really want to stay up in their heads and debate the meaning of service versus helping. And we do, I feel like what you just described, you can call it pickle and hamburger. I don't care what you call it. Service is this helping is this. And it's not about like which word you choose. It's about how it feels inside you and how it manifests in the community and in your actions. So yeah, I do think that we like to get down with the semantics. We, do. so that we don't have to do all the other harder stuff. <laughs> And I, and I, like I said, I get it. It's, it's how people process. But for me, I was like, I don't, I actually don't have time to argue this. Right. I'm, I'm going to go do something. This is yeah. one that I'm going to have to leave with y'all. And once y'all yeah. get to it, like, I love the solid, I do love the solidarity. I love the enabled. I love that. 
Yeah. And I, I will adopt that into the fold. Yeah. But this was when I was like, um, I gotta, I gotta go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, have you, I don't know if you've seen all the drama with the former page. So you want to talk about, um, have you seen that page on Instagram? No. Well, there was a page that was entitled, um, so you want to talk about, uh-huh. and there's a book called, so you want to talk about race. Oh yeah. 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 Um, you, well the page and the author have no connection at oh. all and people didn't know that. And so the author finally came out and said, this well, is not this me. has nothing to do with me. This <laughs> is not me. And I actually asked for there to be some type of acknowledgement of that. And it was a very small acknowledgement. So I want to be clear, this is a white woman running this page who took the language of the book. Oh, wow. And has moved forward with it. But one thing Idioma, who's the author, said in her live was, I didn't want to address this (laughs) because I don't like drama and I'm busy. And I realized, I was like, I loved that because it's like this, a lot of what we're doing is taking shine not shine but taking time away from actually moving forward doing the work just like you said some of that those debates it's like you have to again you have to determine what your purpose is and what you have time for when it comes to your purpose and if that's not part of your journey then leave it to those that that it is and then keep going (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and I think it's a, it's definitely a challenge. I mean, we, we have probably multiple times per gathering in our dismantling whiteness course, we have to like shut down the cerebral exploration of what we're talking about and be like, no, 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 no. this is about you. Let's mm-hmm. come back to what, what started you on mm-hmm. trying to go away from what we're talking about, which is actually what's happening here. Yeah. How do we gently, deftly, but unapologetically say so eye on the ball this is not this is not getting us anywhere yeah and 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 just like you said like if you want to keep doing that you kill it you go for it but i'm gonna be over here like with my hands in the dirt getting some things done yes exactly it's you know it, it takes me back to when i was a massage therapy instructor at one of the massage therapy schools and one of the pieces of advice that i would give every student is when you get out of school you know, because so many of them are talking, oh, I'm going to take this workshop and I'm going to do that workshop and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And my my advice was when you get out of school, other than meeting your CE requirements, don't take course after course after course. You know, yeah. don't read book after book after book. Take time after each to really ingest it, you know, be present and engage in what you just learned, you know, be present with your clients and really learn from that experience of that shared Mm -hmm. time together, you know, and that kind of brings me to what you're talking about is like, if we're in our head all the time, oh, I read this book, I read this book, I read this book, have you done anything with what you read? And that's why I chose to shift year two for those people who stay into okay, now we're actually going to make some plans and we're going to do some things. So there's going to be times when they actually lead out in discussions with me present, but with newer people that come in, there's specific books where it's like, no, this is your focus group. And I want to see how you traverse through this leading out. Because the fact of the matter is we say center people of color in this work, but everybody's not surrounded by people of color. 
everybody's not surrounded by marginalized populations. Do you want them to just sit there or do you want them to do something? So that's part of this next year is action. What are, what do you want to do? What do you see? Like well, they're going to have to get out into their communities and actually do audits and examine and assess and see what's actually needed and where they fit. Um, and I think that that part is they need help for that, too. Like, I think that that doesn't just come if it's not naturally what you've been doing. And I think guidance in that area is really important, too. Absolutely. And we I feel like we spend a lot of time sort of trying to dispel the myth that because white people love to say, well, there's no black people in my town or there's no whatever. Like there, there's nobody who's not like me. And mm-hmm. and the idea that even if sort of factually, demographically, that's pretty accurate, you're not off the hook. You're on the planet Earth. You're in America. You're in the UK. You're wherever you are. There are disparities that you can actually work to dismantle, even in your 100% white community. And the idea that you have to have people of color or people living with disability, like in your face to do the mm-hmm. work is just wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and and that they're not back to that there veil. That. Yeah. I think it goes back to the veils of like, I've, when you looked at everything that went on in America with the voting situation, um, yeah. I used to want to say to people who, who were like, no, like they're doing this and they're Trump is this and this and the other. And I was like, okay, well, are you in the class that we're fighting for? Are you poor middle class? Like, You've been duped too. Yes. <laughs> so if you are in a town where there's nothing but white people, there's still hierarchy. There's yes. still some issues that probably need to be faced. And if we're moving beyond just anti-racism, we should also be looking at capitalism and yes. supremacy culture. And yes. we should be looking at all of this. So we can we can still operate in these different areas, you just got to open your eyes to see where the inequities exist. Absolutely. Do you have, uh, and maybe this is a white thing that we talk, we talk a lot about the difference between brave space and safe space and the, the sort of the need to move beyond a place where everybody feels comfortable mm. and to a place where everybody feels empowered to be honest without being mm. comfortable. And like that, that. that takes a lot of work. If you're, if you're building and holding community that, um, and I think with the community, like you've described, and we've been, I feel like lucky and intentional in our community that people who choose to enter into that relationship really do want to move out of dynamics mm-hmm. of harm and, and not participate in that. But we're talking about really charged issues and we're talking about things that change your identity and change the ground under your feet. And none of us do particularly well in those yeah. spaces. And it's a challenge. So how do you manage um, when people kind of get fired up and sort of, you know, I doubt you have like all caps shouting matches happening in your virtual <laughs> group. But, you know, when you have people kind of say things that you're like, okay, so I'm noticing harm here. And do I let it go? Do I let other people kind of come in and make suggestions to balance it out? Or, you know, how, how does that come up? Does it come up? It does. It's, it's, it's less of the, sh- the shouting matches are never at each other. They're always at the people (laughs) who are not doing the work or not moving fast enough. And so I've had conversations where I've been like, they're just not doing it. And they're not. And I was like, you know, speed and urgency is also a characteristic of supremacy culture. 
Yeah. And when you say that, it's like, oh, shoot. (laughs) 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 So there's a balance of pointing things out and letting them talk through it. Because there are processes that people need to be able to go through. I can't guide them through everything. Part of the community was being able to have the conversations and also let the facilitators that come in and guide the discussions do this too. And so there's been a beautiful balance of letting people go off the rails and scream and then saying, okay, so let's look at this. (laughs) But then there's been times when, when they've been right, when they've been perfectly right to be upset and to scream. And that's when we actually talk about the concept of light and fire. And we say there's times when you are the light and there's times when you are the fire. And there's times when you can't be in those spaces because you need to be doing this work or you're not emotionally in the place. It's like, so if you're the fire right now, maybe you need to go be the fire. Go. Yeah. We'll give you permission. Go be there fire. Plenty of light. Plenty of light bearers hanging on. Yeah. <laughs> and so there, it, it, it. Of course, it's going to be dependent on the situation. But I, I've seen a beautiful balance of all of it, and I've seen people still walk away frustrated. I've seen. I've gotten the DMs after, like I just didn't like that answer. And I'm like, oh, I, I completely understand. Why didn't you like it? Let's talk through it. Like it's the why. Yeah. We always come back to the why, so we can get down to what it really is. I'm not yes. going to fight you over your response. Never. Because your response is your response. But let's figure out why it's your yeah. response. So you're still so, asking why and getting yourself always. in trouble. Still getting yourself <laughs> in trouble. That's right. <laughs> it's funny. My dad always tells the story of me being in the back seat and talking and talking and talking and him looking at me in the rearview mirror. And I looked back and later on, he said, you said, dad, why'd you look at me? And he said, because I knew what you were about to say. And he said what I was going to say. And he was like, you're living the same way that I lived. And I know that your mouth is going to get you in trouble. <laughs> so he, I, I, this is just me. This is me. Like, I, I know that it's me. And yes, I've been able to calibrate the older that I've gotten, but I also was able to grow up in a home where they let me and they allowed me to see sometimes authority is not right. Sometimes you do have to fight. And if you get, I remember as a child, they would always say, if you get to a point where you can't fight anymore with an adult, just call us and we'll do the rest. So there were plenty of times I got in trouble at school and I did not get in trouble at home because I understood, okay, they, they saw what I was going to be facing outside and said, nah, she need a little bit of fight. Let's let her have it. (laughs) (laughs) Another place where we could say that's for another podcast, but it really is. Where where do we learn the things we learn that hold up or dismantle systems that don't serve us? And it's everywhere. It is. It really is. I'm so excited that you are going to be joining us in October for our Just Care Social Justice and Healthcare Virtual Conference. And uh, we haven't really talked at all, um, but I, I thought we should um, maybe close with a little bit about, you know, that the panel that you're going to be presenting on is about mm-hmm. social justice in pediatric healthcare, And mm-hmm. um, obviously social justice on some level is social justice. But I think we have this idea in America that somehow we're, we take specially good care of kids. And I just... <laughs> I wish you all could just see the way that Dr. J-Pop just raised her eyebrow like, oh, you have got to be kidding me. Um, 
So, so tell us a little bit about um, the fire in your belly about pediatric uh, social justice and, and care for, for our smallest ones. I think if you wanted to learn about intersections, we could have started there. Yeah. You wanted to learn about intersectionality. That's where we could have started. Um, you know, like I think two years ago, the Journal of Pediatrics actually came out with an article talking about how racism is a social determinant of health and outlining all of the research of how not only children, but their families are affected by the inequities in healthcare service and in healthcare access. Um, and it, it doesn't just deal with the healthcare system. It, it deals with all of the systems that affect children's health. That right there, all of the systems that can affect children's health, all of the stress that these children face in these different systems that causes chronic stress, that causes chronic pain, that causes the mental health deficits that actually lead to the behaviors that we want to talk about. We want to talk about aggression. We want to talk about, you know, the discipline issues, but we won't, we don't want to talk about why those things manifest. Mm -hmm. And so I've done a much deeper dive into the research on psychology in children and really what does, how does racial identity manifest? How does it develop? And what happens when they face these inequities and they face, um, racism and, and any type of discrimination as they're developing their identity. That's what we should be looking at. Because if we really wanted to change things, we'd look at the systems that affect them and not the, the children. And I think that's that the, the warped research. Why am I still talking about how it manifests when I haven't really looked at why it's manifesting? Why? There's the question again. Yes. So we think, and I've said this in a couple of posts on social media, we think because we work with children that we are these angels. Oh, <laughs> and nobody wants to work with children. Children are so difficult. So if you love and work with children, you just, you have a halo. No, you don't. No, you don't. You have an inclination to work with children, but do you really want to see all children? Right. And do you really know how to service all children? And do you really see how all children are not being served the same way? And so I've my shift you'll see in the next year is really towards pediatric providers um, to say, OK, so let's talk about the diversity that's in your clinic. Are there only people of color at the front desk and none in the back rooms? Hmm. So what are you teaching kids when they walk into your clinic? that only people of color can work and be in the front and only this certain person can work in the back. So I'm, I'm really ready to challenge the way that we're looking at, not just healthcare, not just the, the diagnoses um, and the medications, but really everything that encompasses healthcare. Yeah. Yeah. And the things that we don't, we just don't think about the environment we create in our clinic. And and implicit bias is such a huge piece of, you know, when you ask, I'm continually frustrated when I listen to, like, I've been listening to this podcast called, um, what's it called? On Our Watch. And it's about, mm -hmm. um, they have in California, a, um, a bill passed that basically opened the files of internal affairs investigations into police um, brutality and um, mm -hmm. unnecessary force and things. And 
so often they say, well, we asked the police officer if, if their actions were racially motivated and they said no. So that's off the table. And, you know, I think that, <laughs> Whew, why, why, what yes, a relief. Yes, of course they were. Oh, yes. okay. They asked. So that was a close one. <laughs> right. But I think, I think healthcare providers are the same that, mm-hmm. that they just don't think about, oh yeah, it does matter who my front desk staff is. It does. I don't actually offer the same care to black families as I do to white. I don't know that I'm doing that. But I need someone to come in and show me, do you see how standard of care for this type of patient is different than standard of care for this type of patient? And they don't see it until it's shown to them. Yes. Yeah. And and it's, I understand ego gets in the way. um, Right. And it's what causes you to be defensive. But I say it all the time. We're not attacking people. This is never about attacking people. It's It's attacking thought. Yes. You should want your thought to be attacked and and tried and trialed so that you're making sure whatever you think you're doing, you're actually doing. I always talk about, you know, impact over intent. Yes. Do you care care more about what you thought you were doing versus the person who's actually been harmed? Yeah. That that should worry you. That should worry you. So I, I think... We're not, you, I don't know if you've seen all the drama unfold in the, um, what is it? JAMA, the journal, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, all yes. of that stuff. But this is, it's just a bunch of people who don't want to explore themselves. Right. And I get it. It can be scary. Exploring yep. yourself is never fun when you take this stuff out of the way. Right, right. <laughs> it's hard. It's deep. It's work. It's hurtful. It's painful. But it can be so beautiful. When and you what's get, on the other side is so great. Like it can <laughs> I wish be so we could just let people feel what it feels like on the other side. And I think more people would be like, Oh, okay. I can take yeah. a little bit of, a little bit of suck on the way there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but then, I mean, you do have to look at the fact that if your body always wants to say, stay safe and you have to go through enough of those periods where you're not safe, you do understand why people shy away. Definitely. Um, but you just want them to be able to push through. Yes. Well, that's that whole concept of rather than focusing on the symptom or the outcome, let's go back and ask the big why. Why? Mm -hmm. You know, why has this been culturally normalized? Mm -hmm. Why are we just blind to it because it has been culturally normalized for so long? Yeah. What what created that? And how do we dismantle that and create something that's more equitable? Exactly. Exactly that. Why? So what should our what should our listeners know before we let you go today? Is there anything that you wish that you had shared already or something you want to say again? <laughs> um, so the doors to building allyship are opening again September 19th through the 23rd. Um, I have shifted to opening once a year. Um, that is it. So that I can really focus on the humans that have chosen to be in that space. Um I am coming out with another course. Um, This one is focused more on peds. So really talking about racial identity development and what the research says about it. And also what the research says about how it manifests when children face discrimination. And so doing a deep dive into that. So that that course will be coming out in January, actually. So those are some things to look out for. Oh, 
there's one other really cool thing that's happening. Yes, tell us. It's going to, I don't know when it's going to be coming out, but I just turned in a manuscript for um, a movement deck for kids. What the what? Right? It's been a busy year. <laughs> oh, wait. What is a movement deck? Yes. So, um, in therapy, I use them all the time, and I would pull out cards with different movement and activities on it, and some, and the kid would be able to follow through. So sometimes it's a yoga deck, um, sometimes it's a mindfulness deck. Well, this was a movement deck, and in it, we're going to get to see a lot of movement diversity, which means kids with different abilities are going to be part of the deck um, and part of some of the activities. Um, there's going to be representation across cultures, across spectrums, across identities. Um, and I'm super excited awesome. about it. So it's, it's in edits and illustration right now. So hopefully that will come out either winter of this year or next year. Cool. Well, keep us posted so we can tell all the peoples. Definitely will. Yes. <laughs> um, thank you so much for being with us and for being with us in the broad sense and out there doing the things. And uh, I'm sure we'll have you on again because there's just so much more stuff um, to talk about, but we'll have stuff in the show notes about how you can personally stalk Dr. J pop and uh, get connected <laughs> to her work and community and uh, make sure that if you aren't already signed up for just care, social justice and healthcare, our virtual conference in October, when you register for the conference, it includes a year in our uh, private community of interdisciplinary providers, as well as a year of access to the sessions. So even if you can't be there for the conference, you can still check them out and you can chat with all the people in the community about how awesome the presentations were. So definitely check that out. That'll be in the show notes too. Leave us a review, like us, share us all the things. And remember our season three contest where you could win a mug, a t-shirt, a chat with me and Kathy, or a download with the authors of Oncology Massage and Integrative Approach, uh, Rebecca Sturgeon and Janet Penny. So thanks for being with us, Kathy, as always. Thanks for holding down the Canadian part of our ship. Hey, always a pleasure, my friend. And Dr. J-Pop, keep up the good work. We'll uh, talk to you soon. Take care. Thank you. Interdisciplinary is produced by Healwell. Our theme music is by Harry Pickens. New episodes are available weekly through your favorite podcast outlet. Uh, and you can send us an email at podcast at healwell.org. That's podcast at healwell.org. Thanks for listening.